Now I'd like to ask you to turn to the fourth chapter of Genesis. And I would like to read this uh, chapter in its entirety. And uh, then we're going to take a few minutes and allow you time to think on this passage before we, uh, we teach on it. So let's begin reading with the first verse of chapter 4, Genesis 4, 1. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will there not be a lifting up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. I'm not my brother's keeper, am I? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad became the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael became the father of Methushael, and Methushael became the father of Lamech. And Lamech took to himself two wives. The, wife, the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock, and his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to, my listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, wounding me and a boy for striking me. 
If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now for the next five minutes, will you read over the passage again and just reflect a bit on, uh, on this chapter and its meaning to us. And then we'll come back and see what the Lord can teach us from, from his word. Now, let's take another look at Genesis 4. The uh, birth of a child is always a very happy occasion. It's a time for sending out uh, notices and showers, and it's a time when young fathers, particularly at the first birth, are very excited. I, uh, I can remember back to the birth of my firstborn, and I was going to be very calm and peaceful about the whole thing. I uh, wasn't going to get a bit excited like other men did. And uh, the day after Randy was born, I went down to the flower shop to pick up something for Carolyn. And I picked out some roses and uh, was talking to the clerk. And she uh, asked me if my wife was sick. And I said, no, with complete calm, my baby just had a wife. <laughs> so it is a time when we get a little bit rattled and uh, excited about things. And certainly... This would be true of, of Adam and Eve, because what we have in this chapter before us this morning is the story of the first birth. This was the first time a child was born in history. And this would, of course, be a very exciting occasion. And when this child was born, we're told, she named him Cain. That is, something produced. I've produced something, or I've acquired something from the Lord. And although it's not apparent from our translation, it appears that Eve actually thought that he was the God-man who would trample on the head of the serpent. If you have a New American Standard, you'll notice in the, uh, in the margin or in the side notes, it says, I have gotten a man, the Lord. Apparently, it had been revealed to Eve that uh, the man who would be born, who would be her son, the seed of the woman who would trample on the head of the serpent, uh, would be a God-man. And this unique man would be the one who would set things right. But it quickly became apparent that he was not the one that would, that would correct the problem that the serpent had introduced into the world because her second son is named Abel. And Abel means vanity. It's the word that occurs in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the, the introductory statement in that book. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. His name is based on that word. So she, she quickly understood that this son that she thought would be the deliverer was not a deliverer at all. He was just part of the problem. He wouldn't pick up his toys. He wouldn't wash the ring out of the bathtub when he was told to. He stamped his foot and he shouted no. And uh, he began to demonstrate at the very beginning that he was an independent being. He was going to go his own way and live his own life and rule his own life. And so when Abel was born, Eve called him vanity because she realized that this was not the man that would set things right. 
And then we're told in chapter 2 that these men each chose a vocation. Now, there's no censure intended here. There was nothing wrong with the vocations that they chose. Abel was a keeper of flocks, that is, he raised sheep, cattle. Cain was a tiller of the ground. He began to work the soil. And then in, in the course of time, each brought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought the produce from his field. Uh, we're told that he selected some of the fruit from the ground, and he brought that to the Lord to offer it to him. Abel, on his part, took some from the flocks. He took some sheep. But we're told, furthermore, that these were the best of his vocation. The, he brought the firstborn. He brought the fat, the very best that he could bring. And we're told that the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Cain was rejected. Abel was received. Now, for my part, I don't think that Abel was received because his offering was a sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice. Both were offerings, legitimate offerings. The author here is trying to tell us that the problem was not the nature of the offering. It was the attitude behind the offering. There was something wrong with the man himself. There was something wrong with Cain. John tells us in his little epistle that, that Cain was of the evil one. There's something wrong in the attitude of his heart. He made a sacrifice, but the sacrifice was wrong because the heart of the man was wrong. You see, a sacrifice symbolizes an offering up of ourselves. That's the point of a sacrifice. And uh, Cain's offering was minimal. He brought something from the fruit of the ground, but he didn't give the best. And therefore, the symbol didn't adequately represent the reality he offered up something symbolic of the offering up of his life, but the man himself had no intention of giving himself wholly to God. He was holding something back. He was reserving the best for himself. So the symbol didn't express reality. I have a friend who used to, who was a missionary for years in the mountains of Kentucky. And uh, the people there in this uh, little village were very, very conservative politically and very patriotic, and they all flew flags on appropriate days. And my friend came from uh, a community where that sort of thing wasn't, uh, wasn't done, so it was a little bit unusual to him, and he didn't even think of putting up a flag. But all of his neighbors did. And one day his neighbor across the street came over and, and reprimanded him for not flying a flag. So he immediately went out and he bought one and he ran it up the flagpole. And he would watch his neighbors, and whenever they put up their flag, he'd run up his flag because he didn't want to cause offense. One day he was out in his front yard mowing the lawn and he saw the sheriff pull up in front of the, his neighbor's house right across the street, the one that had, had uh, reprimanded him. And a number of armed men jumped out of the car and they ran in the house and, and they brought the man out to the car, handcuffed, put him in the back seat and drove him off and they discovered that the man had a still in his basement. And for years he'd been producing moonshine whiskey and of course not, uh, not paying any taxes to the government during that time. But every day he had his flag out there. So the, he displayed the symbol, but the reality was, that was not there. He had no loyalty to his country. He just displayed the symbol. Now, I think this is what, what's happening here in this story. Cain uh, sacrifices, but there's no heart in it. There's no reality. He's not really committed to the truth. And so we're told that the Lord had no regard for Cain's sacrifice. 
And the Lord said to Cain, uh, and Cain became angry in verse 5, and his countenance fell. He, uh, he got resentful because God didn't accept what he had given. And he became depressed because that's what happens when we get angry. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now, there are two options that are, that are presented to Cain here. If he does well, that is, if he does what he knows God has called him to do, then there'll be a lifting up, there'll be forgiveness. But if he doesn't do well, sin, he says, is crouching outside your door like, like some sort of wild animal, and it's desirous for you, and it'll get you. That's the nature of sin. We think we can can temporize with sin, we can play around with it, we can become somewhat involved in sin, we can let the flesh have its fling to some extent, but we can't, it'll always get us. The Lord tells Cain, if you do what's right, and you know what's right, then there'll be a lifting up, there'll be forgiveness. But if you don't do what's right, sin will master you. See here, years before the Apostle Paul writes, we have a, a, a picture of what he tells us in Romans 6. Man was made to be mastered. He'll either be mastered by God or he'll be mastered by sin. And um, we think somehow that there is a neutral position, that we can run our own lives, we can live independently, but that's not true. We're either going to let God master our hearts and be ruled by him, or sin will control us and conquer us, and things will go from bad to worse. We think that we can sin a little bit. We can cheat a little bit on our income tax. It always just bothers me when I have to sit down and, uh, and work on my income tax, as I'm in the process of doing right now, because there are so many opportunities to cheat a little bit. And after all, the government has enough. And after all, they've audited me for the last three years, and I'm a victim of harassment. I start thinking, and I forget what the Lord says about paying Caesar what is due Caesar. And I have certain income that I don't have to report. Not uh, At least they would never know, and it would be very easy for me to cheat just a little bit. But the problem is it always goes from bad to worse. If we let sin control us a little bit, it goes on and on and on until it masters us. And that's what happened to Cain. He had a divided heart. He wasn't fully committed to the Lord. And, uh, and sin, like a wild animal, conquered him. Verse 8, Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him, literally chopped him into pieces. It indicates something of his, of his resentment and his anger and how far sin had taken him. Never had planned to go this far killed his brother. The uh, chapter repeatedly underscores the fact that this was a brother who was slain time and time again. It's your brother. It's your brother. And uh, the, the enormity of this act is comes into focus when we see that Cain killed a fourth of humanity. No one has ever done that in the history of the race. Killed his brother. But God goes out 
searching for him. Verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And what he actually says is, I'm not my brother's keeper, am I? The question doesn't expect an answer. I'm not responsible for my brother. I have enough to take care of. uh, And when I think of myself and my own needs, why should I care for my brother? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer upon the earth. So Cain is driven from the the portions of the land that could be cultivated. And he's driven out to the east of Eden into what today is the Iranian highlands up in that wild and rugged country, away from the ground that could be cultivated. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Now, there's no indication that Cain ever repented. He just simply felt that his circumstances were too difficult. And Scripture says the way of the transgressor is hard. And that's what Cain felt. It was more than was justified. It was more than than was demanded by the the nature of his sin. His judgment is too harsh. And he says in verse 14, Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should slay him. And there's no indication throughout this passage that Cain's heart was ever softened. He was a rebellious man to the end. He was just concerned about the consequences of his actions. But even though there's no sign of repentance, God takes steps to protect him because God cares about unbelievers as well. And so he puts a sign either on Cain or he appoints a sign for Cain, and we're not told what that is. It's just something that will protect Cain so that wherever he goes, if anyone who finds him tries to slay him, God will protect him. Because everyone was related to Abel, the man that he murdered. And they would avenge uh, Abel's death. Cain knew that. And so he's driven out into the land of Nod, we're told in verse 16. The word Nod just means wandering. So he begins his life of rootless, empty search. Without God, without a relationship with his family, just empty. John says that he was of the evil one. That is, he had chosen sides. Part of the consequences of the fall... uh, given to the woman was that the seed of the serpent would be hostile toward the seed of the woman. There would be two lines of descent in the world, two spiritual lines of descent. There would be the seed of the serpent and there would be the seed of the woman. And there would always be enmity or hostility between those two seeds. Those are the two choices in life. Man can either choose to subject himself to God and to do things his way, as we saw last week, or he can choose to go his own way and live his own life 
make his own decisions. As we've seen in the past, that's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil symbolizes. It wasn't the fruit itself that poisoned the man. There was nothing about the fruit of the tree that was inherently evil or would bring about man's condition. It represented the choice that man could make. He could either let God tell him everything, what's good and what's evil, or he could go his own way and learn himself about the nature of good and evil, experiment with life, try things out, live his own life, determine his own code of conduct, rule his own, his own life. And Cain, you see, chose to side with the seed of the serpent. He's chosen to go his own way, and the result is restlessness, rootlessness, emptiness. He's turned out into the land of Nod, but despite his rebellion, God loves him. And God's going to protect him. And he's told that if anyone avenges the death of Abel, then by killing Cain, that that death would be avenged sevenfold. Now, the rest of the chapter tells us about Cain's descendants. And we're told that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And then that descent is, is traced for us. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city. And all of the literature from the ancient Near East tells us that that city, Enoch, or Eric, was the first city to be built. It was built because uh, Cain was afraid. He, he wasn't willing to trust God and let God be his defense. He built a city to defend himself because that was the purpose of cities in those days. They were all, they were all walled cities. The earliest cities that we know anything about, like Jericho, which is the oldest city that has ever been found in that part of the world, at the lowest levels are enormous walls. They're there for protection. Cain was afraid. He was afraid for his family, so he built a city, named it Enoch. And to Enoch was born Erad, and Erad became the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael became the father of Methushael. And you'll notice the last two letters in each of those words is the word for God. So though they take the name of God and they have a form of religion, they've actually denied the power of, of religion, which is trust and confidence and belief in God. They're religious folk. And there are, there are religions that go back to the very beginning of time. But, but these men had already decided that they were going to go their own way and live their own life. They were going to trust God. And Methushael became the father of Lamech, and Lamech took to himself two wives. So you have the beginning of polygamy. They've already rejected the truth given to Adam and Eve that it was God's intent that a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they too become one flesh not three become one flesh or four become one flesh but they too become one flesh so this line of descent rejected that truth about the home they're going their own way now and they establish establish a polygamous relationship Lamech with his two wives and Ada gave birth to Jabel he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock, so you have the beginning of, of, the, of the nomadic life. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe, so culture and, 
in music and the arts develops. As for Zilla, she also gave birth to Tubal Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron, and so you have the beginning of, of metallurgy and the ability to work in metals and produce weapons as well as, as farming in implements. It's interesting that throughout history, these names have been known and these people have been deified. Jabel and Jubal, their names in Hebrew are Yabel and Yubal, became Apollo in history. And Tubal-Cain became Vulcan just by dropping the T-U. From the beginning of the name, you have Vulcan, which is Vulcan, who is the god of the Tiber, which is the same as, as Tubal, and the god of the forge. So these people were known in history as as mighty men, men who made their mark in history, who had a great impact upon their times. This was the beginning of technology and, and arts and crafts, music, learning, incredible achievements long before their time. The, the Iron Age uh, in, in Israel doesn't begin until shortly before the time of, of David, Saul and David. And yet this early in history, before the flood, they're working in iron. People weren't cavemen. They were very sophisticated men, accomplished. And then we're told that the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And you see, the point of this all now is that Lamech doesn't even need God to protect him. He can protect himself. Cain, despite his rebellion, cried out to God for protection. And God protected him. He took care of him. But Lamech says, who needs God? I'll use these instruments that... Uh, that my son has developed, and I'll defend myself. I've killed a boy for wounding me, and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. It sounds very much like the words of the, of the poem Invictus. Out of the black that follows me, that shadows me, dark as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. And see, and that's man's attitude. Who needs God? I can do it with my technology, my weapons. We may put on our coins, in God we trust, but what we're really trusting in is our defense budget and our gadgetry and our ability to set things right. Man gets himself in the mess that he's in, and then he thinks somehow that, that he can get himself out simply by the application of his knowledge and his technology. But he just makes things worse. He always makes things worse. Every generation thinks that this is the generation that's going to set things right. And every politician that arises, uh, that rises, that we vote for, we think that's the man that's going to set everything right. But they're just men. Men like Abel. Men like Cain, and they're weak, and they don't set things right. They just make it worse. There's no salvation in technology. The Scripture tells us that the whole world lies in the hand of the wicked one. The philosophy of the world is that we can do it without God. As I've said before, that's the thing that concerns me. You see, there are blatant appeals that come through the media to, 
to sin of various types, and we learn to we learn to spot those things. When the world appeals to us to be a, an alcoholic or to be an adulteress or an adulterer, we we recognize that. We say, no, I don't want to go that route. But we don't recognize is that what gets often gets in under our uh, our conscious uh, thought is the attitude of the world, which is you can do it without God. You can run your business without reference to God. You can run your family without faith. You can live your life as though God never existed. You have what it takes. You only go around once. You have to grab the brass ring. You have to live with gusto or whatever. That's the philosophy of the world. Our technology, our education, our culture, our science will set things right. But we just make things worse. In verse 25, we read that Adam knew his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, for she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel. The word Seth merely means appointed. So this is a replacement for Abel, whom Cain killed. And to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And Enosh means weak and frail. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, they're beginning to get the message. Adam has a, a son, Cain, and Eve names him acquired or created. And this is the God-man who's going to set things right. But he didn't. He killed his brother. He was just a part of the problem. So she has another son. She's still hoping. Seth, appointed in place of Abel. And he's no better than Cain or Abel. And so Seth has a son, Enosh, and he's, the picture is getting much clearer. And, she call, and he's called weak and frail. And then men begin to call on the name of the Lord because that's where man's strength comes from. Not from his technology, not from his science. As good as those things may be, we can only be men because of God. That's the way God made us. He created us with an inability to live life as we ought to live it without God. We can't do it. We just can't do it. As Jesus put it, without me, you can do nothing. Now, we can do many things. We can go to the moon, and we can do remarkable things physically and, and intellectually. But we can't be what God intended us to be. We can't be godlike in the world. And we can't set the world right apart from God. And people begin to get the message. And so you have a line coming from Adam down through Seth and Enosh of people who, who believed God and who trusted Him and who counted on Him and and you'll notice in chapter 5, very little is said about their achievements. They probably shared in many of the achievements of the line of Cain and probably used them. And they probably intermingled with the Cainites, as far as we know. There's no reason to believe they didn't. They weren't isolated from one another. But they had an entirely different attitude, and it's shown, it's illustrated for us in the life of one man in chapter 5. That's Enoch. Verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. Apparently, when that son was born, God revealed something to Enoch that had not been revealed before, and that is the flood was coming. And if you trace out the span of Methuselah's life, when, it, when Methuselah died, the flood came. That's why he lived longer than anyone else, because God waited for men to respond to, the, to his grace. But when he died, the flood came, and that apparently was revealed to Enoch, and he believed it, and he, be, and he walked with God. 
So you have this isolated illustration, and there must have been many more illustrations of men within this line who trusted God and walked with Him. There's no salvation in education or in technology or in science. It won't make you whole. There's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. There's music in the Psalms. The uh, children of Israel conquered the land of Canaan by using weapons. Even Jesus said when, when the disciples said they had one sword, Jesus said that's enough. So he's not against weapons. He's not against music. He's not against culture or education. But the point that Scripture wants us to see, wants to make and wants us to see clearly is that there's no salvation in any of these things. That's not what gets us into the family of God. And that's not what makes us whole and keeps us whole when we are in the family of God. It's not getting a new four-by or snow machine that's going to make you whole and happy and peaceful. Or a new house or a new carpet or a new TV or the next run of TV shows or a new shotgun. As good as any of those things may be, they're not going to make you whole. They won't give you satisfaction. If that's what we're depending on, we'll be just as, just as empty and just as restless as Cain. But there is in this chapter a line of faith, a line of belief. And when we call upon the name of the Lord, when we begin to count on Him and trust Him, that's when we begin to have that settled-down feeling. That's what gives us peace, makes us healthy and whole. Now, the question this morning is, uh, on which side are we? The, the choice is ours, just as the choice was Cain's. We can go on in our independence, and Scripture tells us that things will go from bad to worse. Or we can begin to rest and trust and rely on an indwelling Lord. This Lord that we've talked about here eventually came to earth as the Lord Jesus and died for us and rose again and is available to us today. He's a living Lord. He wants to indwell us and empower us and give us the peace and the satisfaction and the strength to face life as, as we know it ought to be faced. And the question is, what will we do? And will we go all the way with it when we do it? Now, the problem with most of us uh, is that uh, we're just enough Christian to be miserable. We've made a commitment to the Lord but it's somewhat like Cain's commitment. It's only, it's a half-hearted sort of thing. And we try to keep one foot in that sphere and one foot in the other sphere. And, and we are most miserable. Peace and satisfaction comes from a wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ. Taking our hands off of our life and letting him be Lord. Jesus said, if the eye is single, then the whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is evil, that is, if we have one eye on the Lord and one eye on anything else, how great is that darkness? And the reason that so many of us are, are unhappy and discontented and unsettled and restless and why we, we buy the things that we buy desperately looking for something that will fill us up is because we just don't understand that man was made for God. He was made to be mastered by God and will either be mastered by Him or our moods, our habits, our things will master us. And so that's the choice that each one of us faces. 
Will you make Jesus Christ Lord? Holy? Fully? Will you let Him reign and rule in your life? Or will you go on running your own life? Establishing your own course? That's the choice that faces us. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for calling us into a relationship with you. Thank you for reaching out to us as you did to Cain. Not, not one of us is too far gone, too far out, too far lost to be reached. Thank you for the great heart of love that you have for us. We want to respond to it. We want you to be our Lord fully, holy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.